and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here with Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. Oh, <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Yourself. <laughs> Shut the hell up, man. <laughs> We're back. Star Trek project still going. Yep. Captain's Log. Uh, we are now on film six. Yep. Star Trek six, The Undiscovered Country, a reference to a line from Shakespeare. All right. Okay. Which uh, which play? I can't remember. I think oh, all right. It's good that you brought it up then. Is it is it Hamlet? That well, you know what? Let's go with it. Hamlet. It's Hamlet. I think it's Hamlet. Right. Okay. It's talking about. Is it talking about? Is it the future being the undiscovered country? Yeah, that's what it is. Because Hamlet always procrastinated, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. So yeah, basically that's what it is. That's, that's what it is. That's yep. what it's called. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. One of you people online will probably check this out and then come back and criticise me for getting it wrong. Sorry. I don't care. Our two listeners aren't going to do that. They might. Right. But I still don't care. So, yes, episode six, we previously discussed uh, The Final Frontier, episode f- uh, film five, and uh, gave it a three star rating. Yeah. It was one of the lowest. Uh, it was a low free. Now we're on what you feel is a belter in the Star Trek uh, original cast films yeah yep it's a great send off basically right so this is their last great adventure together mm-hmm. so get ready to get emotional Steve okay got the tissues <laughs> what is it with you and saying things that sound really inappropriate <laughs> we'll get that up I'm gonna get I'm gonna get it up yeah what you mean upload the podcast yes yeah. I'll get I it I do up. mean that I'll get it up tonight I'll just put these tissues down <laughs> right uh, so yeah, where where are the cast in this film? You said this is quite a good good bit away from the last film. Yes. So let's set the scene. So well, that's, the, that's what I was going to get into. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> wrong wrong trilogy. Yeah. I know. Damn it. Never tell me the odds. Uh, so um, yeah. So Star Trek Five finished fairly benign sort of situation, I guess. Um. So this film is set about, I would say, between seven to ten years later. Something like that. Probably about seven years later. In the interim period, the Federation and Klingons have had some severe hostilities um, against each other again. Um, the uh, Obviously, Kirk has not still not quite got over the death of his son, which is touched upon in this film, because it's very Klingon-centric. It's about the politics. It's about the whole Klingon race. It's not just about one rogue crew. It was one of the things I never mentioned in the last podcast that I don't feel they've really explored. You know, Kirk was talking about how they don't feel they have families and there's choices they've made, but he did have a son and that son has, has died. Again, he he, only, really, he only knew his son for for a short time. Yeah, I suppose. So but. he wasn't really... Well, he, he knew that he had a son out there, but he'd never met him. He'd given up his family life for Starfleet. I think that's what they were getting at there. But the thing with losing a child is that you don't... I'm not going to go into how I've got personal experience of this. It's not that I've lost a child or anything like that, but I do know this in my own life, that it's not something in a family that you discuss with the parent or that the parent really brings up. It's not something that's really discussed. Only when they discuss it, with you, would and it would have to be an exceptional circumstance because I think it's so painful. They don't talk about it. It's one of the rare things, you know. People don't talk about bereavements very often, anyway. I mean, but I think 
you would talk about other bereavements more than you'd talk about the loss of your own child. It's not something you talk about even with your best friends or anyone. You just, the pain of, of it is something you try and ignore. That's what my feeling is on that mm-hmm. from from what I can imagine. So I'd, I think the time that Kirk talks about it is in private. You get a glimpse of that in Star Trek Six, of him talking about it privately to himself. So he's not talking about it to someone else. So for all we know, he could have been just having these thoughts all this time. We just get a glimpse into it. So that's interesting. Um, But what's interesting is I think the rising tensions between the Klingons and the Federation have led to this resurgent, bitter feeling in him. Also, they are all a lot older in this film. So this is them basically just before retirement. They're just about to hang up their uniforms. This is their last outing, basically. Okay. All right, all right. And so it's interesting because they were already old, but obviously they're a lot older now. And the cast, are they around the age of the characters? Or have the characters now surpassed, at this point, the age of even the actors? No, The what's happened here is that the film was made in 1991, so it was only three, or three maybe four years after they filmed Star Trek V. But... For Star Trek 4 and 5 in particular, the, the studio was subtly de-aging the cast, hair dye and make, makeup and that sort of thing. But for this film, they decided that they would just, let them look exactly as Just they, as they are. Yeah. Right, okay. So that's why it is set canonically a little bit later on. You know, there's a lot of grey hair and a lot of... As opposed to some of them, faces, as know. opposed to some of them, you couldn't really hide. Well, Scotty's it. older, anyway. Scotty. But, I mean, Scotty's proper old in this one. Right. I mean, okay. The, the the character, the, what they've they've either made them look older or had them behave Just, older mm-hmm. in some form. Like Scotty is basically like a grandfathery type figure in this film, <laughs> in some sense, you know. Um, but there's a lot of references to being old and past it, and the, their time the time is over and. It's time for new people and all this kind of thing. Okay, all right. Which is quite sad in a way. It's, there's there's a there's a bittersweet feeling to this film. It feels to me like the kind of film you'd. It's like a. It's, it's not a Christmas movie in a sense, but it's like the kind of film that you'd have on. You'd imagine on on Christmas Day, like one of those event movies, like mm-hmm. a, a sort of ensemble, you know, big event film. The music's fantastic. It's got that. There's um, bells in the music. There's certain bells in the music that make it sound like celebratory music. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a fanfare. You know, there's various things about this film that make it. You'll see what I mean when you yeah. watch it. It's a special film. It looks great mm-hmm. visually. So there's a really step nice. up then from some of the poor visuals from the last film. Oh yeah, lessons learned. ILM are back. Is yeah. that right? Well, it's basically what they've done is they've upped the quality as much as they possibly could because if this is their send-off they were going to give them a damn good send-off mm-hmm. basically and at the timeline of this film being made this is when the next generation started the series yeah on TV yeah so I suppose there's probably oh, the next generation had been on for about was it the 80s that started wasn't yeah, it maybe 1987 so right, so even, even the 5, fifth yeah. one yeah um, interesting and are this cast around for the following film um, is there not like a crossover film yeah, well, um, Shatner comes back. Oh, is it just Shatner? Right, yeah. okay. Um, but Scotty and Chekhov are back at the start. Oh, okay. But none of the rest. Ah, right, okay. But the reason for that was that there was multiple reasons. The actors didn't want to do cameos, a lot of them, but also 
I think the studio felt that well, the time had passed for that cast. I imagine they thought, yeah. "Well, this is now the time for the new generation." Yeah. So, so let them have their 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 time. It's done in quite a good way. In generations, it'd be interesting to see what you think of it when it comes up. But you, generations is one that I was really upset by it when I went to see it in the cinema. Not like I didn't hate the film, but I was emotionally upset by what happened in the film because it was really you know the end of an era sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember being devastated because it was like a a hero. Mm-hmm character that you're watching this film the undiscovered country this is your first film you've seen in the cinema you said well not the first film uh, of all movies but the star, first trek. star trek film, yeah. film i'd seen it was it was only five or six i remember going to see it in the cinema mm-hmm. i remember it clearly and it's special to me for that reason as well because i was still able to see the original cast in the cinema on in the year it came out when i was alive so that's quite a, a cool thing yeah I mean, imagine if you'd been to see Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. in the cinema. Yeah, like, like I, that wait, to me is what this is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so. My first Star Wars experience was Return of the Jedi, and it just blew me away. Of course, that wasn't the original time it was out, but again, it was my first experience of a cinematic, you know, experience in, in cinema, seeing these films and being the the world opener for me. Um, who, who's the director for this one again? Was it Clyde Nicholas Mayer? Oh, is it Nicholas Mayer directing this one? Yeah. Right. Okay. So he directed two. Yeah, right, okay. So, so you can get an idea of mm-hmm. what's going to happen here. Right. Uh, and the uh, the soundtrack was... Cliff Idleman. Cliff, right, okay. He was an, a new composer. To me, it's it's the best Star Trek soundtrack, bar none. Wow, okay. Oh, wow. Really, really good avant-garde mm-hmm. composer. Mm-hmm. Just launched himself in there. Um, more impressive than any of them. And that, I mean, I'm saying it's better than James Horner's ones. Well, there you go. But Cliff Oudeman, fantastic. Absolutely incredible soundtrack in this film. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that then. And, and the end soundtrack, well, the end track at the, the end of the movie, the uh, there's two parts to it. Um, I'll, I'm not, I'll not say why, but um, it really is one that people, I remember sitting in the film right to the very end because people wanted to hear it all the way through because it was sort of almost a celebratory thing because it was their last adventure one big fantastic musical piece at the end you know you would, it was enjoyable to sit and listen to it it wasn't just filler it was great mm-hmm. really so we'll listen to it as well yeah when we watch the film okay we've great. probably covered most areas uh of what we want to discuss before the film uh we'll be watching the film and then going into spoilerific detail uh you know, afterwards, well, and then we'll also give a rating as we normally do on the five star rating system. Oh, yeah. Is there anything else we should know before going into this one? We've covered the sort of setup in general, haven't we? Um, nope, there's nothing else we need to know. Excellent. On that note, then, we're now going to watch the film. Let's we'll be back do it. In a very short break. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Hello, uh, sorry, start again. We've already done the intro, <laughs> and we're back after having watched Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. Wow, that yep. was that was a different film from <laughs> yeah, The Final Frontier, Star Trek V. That was you set that up pretty well. Um, really enjoyed this film. Really enjoyed it. It yeah. was a fun film, an urgent action film. It's a feel-good uh, movie. Yeah, it was. It was. It felt like um, 
I think it felt how I had envisioned Star Trek films to be in the later years, um, more like the next generation era films. Mm. Um, what was your rewatched take of that? Well, I've always had a, a real soft spot for this film because it was the first one I'd seen, first Star Trek film I saw in the cinema, and I was lucky enough to be alive when the original series were still cast were still performing in the films so i've got a real soft spot for it but to me it's like a feel-good movie but it's very topical for today as well mm. i mean watching it again with you now you well, know you've, you've basically the race relations are the main yeah topical subject of this well, what i'm going to do is i'm going to kind of do a brief outline of it so that it's clear sure. for the listeners okay. so what's happened is that after star trek 5 about seven years have gone by there's a lot of conflict between the federation and the klingon empire and crews and members of Starfleet like Kirk and Spock and all of them and McCoy and they're they're the older generation and and they've been through a lot. Obviously, Kirk lost his son to the Klingons. He was murdered by the Klingons, so there's a sense of prejudice there with Kirk. But what's happened is that Starfleet is on a war footing against the Klingons and vice versa. But there's a natural disaster takes pl- or an industrial disaster similar to Chernobyl with the Soviet Union with the nuclear plant exploding in the the 80s and in fact you could say this film is an allegory of that but I'll, I'll go into that later so essentially the Klingon Empire is economically destroyed and cannot afford to fight a war with Starfleet anymore and the Klingon Chancellor wants to sue for peace with the Federation and Spock is instrumental in, in communicating with this Chancellor about this but Kirk and the rest of the crew well maybe not McCoy I mean you see a split in the crew between who's prejudiced against the Klingons and who's maybe not so much. McCoy is is keen for peace and Scotty seems to be kind of keen for peace. Ahura's a bit doesn't like the way the Klingons eat like but they have a meal together when they meet up with the Klingon delegation. Um various members of the crew display prejudice towards the Klingons and in the end there's a conspiracy between members of the Klingon side and the Federation side who want there to be a war still who might not, shall we say, want the wall to come down between the two peoples. People talk about Klingons being the alien trash of the galaxy and all this kind of thing. But what it's showing is that prejudice exists on both sides and that, bizarrely enough, the two sides would cooperate to scupper peace, which doesn't make any sense because that's cooperation. So it's it's a really interesting film on that on that note but on the other side of it it's also the send-off film for the original crew and it's a feel-good film in that sense so uh, the first act there's two acts in this film the first act is all about laying out the the prejudice and the racism and kirk's latent racism towards the klingons because of what they did to his son and he blames all klingons for that and then the second act is about i would say the crew their their send-off i think it leads into that and especially towards the very end of the film when you get your... You know, I find it quite emotional, actually, when you see them on the bridge together and they're getting told that the Enterprise is being decommissioned and you can see the tears in Kirk's eyes and mm-hmm. everybody's looking to think, oh, what's going to happen now, you know? Yeah, it was a poignant moment. Yeah, yeah, I think at the start of the film, the crew was ready to retire. They they had three months left of their tour. Mm-hmm. They seemed weary and yeah. tired, didn't but they? after one last proper adventure, they seemed ready to go again. Yeah. Well, does that mean then that they don't get the send off on on screen? Well, that is this is the send off. Yeah, 
in a sense that they got a final adventure, but they didn't get an actual scene where they get, you know, decommissioned. They no, hang no, up. They that... don't. They don't get the scene where you mm. see them hanging up. You know, their boots. I don't. I don't. I don't really think anybody would want to see it. I think. I think. More... That, I think that'd be kind of an interesting moment to see where do they go. Well, you know, I mean, I th- does uh, McCoy just go and and well, some of the go to the street to pub? that sort of thing. But you know, I think it's one of those things where it's like a relative you want to remember that like they get old and they die but you want to remember them as uh, when they were in their greatest moment kind of thing i think that's what it's like with the old crew this is them in their final when they've saved the universe basically one more time kirk says that when he comes on the bridge once again we save civilization as mm-hmm. we know it mm-hmm. you know and mccoy kind of his um witty remark is you know and this time they're not going to prosecute us for it <laughs> you know so <laughs> uh, and 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 he says to you know people talk about you know oh well, I felt the same as such and such and, and McCoy says well you don't prosecute people for having feelings while staring at Spock aye so there's a there's all these little jokes in there mm-hmm. but you know it is poignant because you have Kirk saying at the very end this is it you know we're now going to hand this over to another crew you know and it's their turn now to carry on things but Kirk. If you think about the journey that Kirk went on, I mean, it is very topical for today because there's a lot of people who have prejudices because of experiences they've had. Now, Captain Kirk had his son murdered by the Klingons, right? And he was able, by the end of the film, to get past that. I was glad for that because there was a part of me that was slightly worried, you know, from the beginning. Yeah. When he showed this prejudice. I mean, that was so poignant, though, when... Uh when the the daughter of the chancellor says you've restored my father's faith he, he's been killed mm-hmm. and Kirk says and you've, you've restored, restored my, my sons, sons. Yep. so it's it's a full circle thing that goes mm-hmm. right back to Star Trek 2 and 3 right yeah and that's the thing about Star Trek is it pays off it will pay off things that you don't you couldn't predict that's going to come mm-hmm. at some point um, but I think it's really topical for today because people are well, it's a, we, we, we live in a very divisive society. Society, yeah. in, in in respect of some cultures, has always been divided in some ways, and depends where you go. It's yeah. it's, it's there's more intolerance, but but it, I think it's about it both seems... sides reaching out here. Uh-huh. That's the message of this film: is that it takes it takes two. It takes two to be divisive. It takes two to be progressive. Mm-hmm. You can't just have one side always push. You have to reach out and empathize, mm-hmm. and I think that's what the film was good at doing here. It was showing that. Even if your son has been killed by the people that you don't like, for that reason, you can still come back from that, and they can come back from their own prejudices as, as well. And that's a that's a Star Trek message. Mm-hmm. That that is what the me- that's nineteen ninety one. That's very prophetic, and that's a message that I think is really important. And as much as it is a feel good send off movie, and it, it gets me in the feels this film because of that, mm-hmm. because you know you're not going to see the crew again. Yeah, that's it. It's over. Um, it's still a very topical movie, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And I think when you deal race relations in that respect, usually will be topical. Um, sadly, in some ways, if you yeah. think about it, uh, you know, it could be a topical thing for and that's for decades. And decades. Yeah, because it doesn't. It seems to all you know come round. Um, but certainly in the last few years, it has been. Uh, even more of an issue. Do you know what's funny about it? It handles very sensitively. I, I, I mean, see, growing up with Star Trek, I grew up with this. So, 1991, I was five or six years old or whatever. I watched this film and I've watched it multiple times. So, I've had that message hammered into my brain for a long time about fairness. And 
that's the thing, you know, when people say things these days about we need this and we need that, like, I grew up with that message from Star Trek, acceptance, op- being open to people, getting past your prejudices, all these ar- allegorical messages were there for me from a very young age, in a way that maybe Star Wars doesn't quite communicate. Star Wars is fantasy. It doesn't. Star Trek is alleg- allegorical telling of stories that exist in our real world here on Earth. That's what Star Trek did in the 60s TV shows when it was out on the... You know, you could... I mean, there was some you could take from Star Wars. I mean, the Empire were essentially based on the Nazis. You yeah, could say... That I would the, say Star Trek was the, more pointedly based... This is based on the Soviet Union and the mm-hmm, USA mm-hmm. And, and Chernobyl disaster mm-hmm. and how that caused the collapse of the Soviet Union and how America had to trust the Russians. That's all about... that. that it's basically an allegory of that. Right, okay. So... So it's it's really you know it's it's a pointed allegory. That's what I would say. It's different. Is that and because they're humans from our planet, these are people from our planet. Yes, there not, is more to relate. Yeah, to. it's something that. But anyway, I guess the main point I'm trying to make is that I grew up with that. I grew up with that, and a lot of Star Trek fans did. And I think that's where some of the frustration comes from when people talk about maybe. Like, I feel like those messages were clear to me growing up. It's not something new now. It's not like someone's come along and educated me and said, these things are wrong. I already knew that. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and I already agreed with it. Yeah. You know, because my hero did. Mm-hmm. Captain Kirk was my hero growing up. Captain Kirk got over it. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, I admired that. As, as You know, watching that as a child and, and growing up. Um, watching them again and again, that was something that I, I admired. And I suppose that's where my frustration comes from when people say that it's something that needs to be done now. Well, Star Trek was doing it 20 plus years ago. And anybody who watches this film now, like yourself, Steve, can see how brave that is and, and how pointedly topical it is now. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. I just think it's oh, it's still. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be reinforced. These, yeah, these messages should always be reinforced in the new media. Um, but it shouldn't be acted as if it's not happened because that's how brave that film was. Mm-hmm. To because ha- it had points in it where you had people saying really der- derogatory slurs against the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Kind of how they all look alike and they smell bad, or and they, they don't eat the muscle nicely. line and stuff like uh-huh. that. What was it? They're so muscly or something. Yeah, like Sulu says or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lines in there that are inappropriate. And that's incredibly forward thinking mm-hmm. for a film from from nineteen ninety one. You know, uh, people were thinking about these things. It's not like this is something we've just come up with in the past five years. This is something that's been around for a long time. Star Trek had the first interracial kiss on TV, Uhura and Kirk in the sixties. Okay, I mean that's a massive monumental thing to have. Mm-hmm. You know, as a series. And it's always been pushing these things. I mean, having a Russian Chekhov on the bridge in the 60s as well during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. An alien crew member. I mean, that was something that, that the executives were against. Um, you know, a multiracial bridge crew. I mean, even if they didn't always get lines, it was still a bloody oh, there was big a, step. There was a, yeah, uh, an attitude of trying to reinforce some representation from the early yeah. you know, the 60s. And what I love is the fact that the last film they did together was about prejudice. Mm-hmm. That's really strong for me that it's th- the inception of Star Trek from Gene Roddenberry was about pre- he didn't like prejudice and he pitched the show and he cast, it, cast the show on that basis mm-hmm. and the final film is absolutely reinforcing that 
and it's bringing the Klingons in, the enemy, to be part of the, you yeah. know. So uh, there's something quite full circle about that for the whole and the original crew. Speaking of full circle, you mentioned before Gene Roddenberry he died, didn't yeah. he? At this, yeah. it was it right before the screening of the film or something? Or I think after? he saw it and then died. Did he? Yeah. Which is so, quite poignant, quite yeah, um, bittersweet in some respect. It was the, the final film with his original cast uh, from the show he's pitched in mm-hmm. a, a successful film, yeah. I'm assuming. Um, but uh, obviously, I hope, I, I'm not. I'm not certain of what the timeline of when he died. If hopefully he got to see it, I think he did get to see one screening of the film. But I mean, everybody in this film gets a moment. I mean, you've got Spock and Kirk. They get a lot of time to, uh, sorry, uh, McCoy and Kirk get a lot of time together when mm-hmm. they're imprisoned on, they're taken prisoner and they spend a lot of time together. There's some quite funny moments where McCoy's talking about, you know, three months before retirement, you know, what a way to finish and we're on this prison planet kind of thing and giving up hope and Kirk is kind of trying to jazz him up. Kirk gets a bit of action with one of the girls in the, I know, yeah. And, McCoy comments on it and says, what is it with you? <laughs> After all these years of Kirk being with women, McCoy finally says, what is it? What, yeah. What is it with you? <laughs> and and Kirk's like, well, still think we're finished. Yeah. <laughs> that has scene. that smile on his face before he goes to sleep. And you've got Scotty taking out the assassin, like kicking a door down and taking out an assassin. Chekhov discovers a key point to the mystery with, with trying to figure out where the assassins came from. Um... Ahura as well, you know, she's sort of running around. Basically, Ahura's got quite a well-rounded part. She's she's doing a few different things. Mm-hmm. She's part of the scheming of trying to avoid reporting back to Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Sulu is the captain of his own ship. Now, I told you it'd pay off for Sulu. Mm-hmm. That was a big payoff mm-hmm. for his mm-hmm. character. Yeah. He didn't get a lot to do in a lot of films. There he is. He's the captain yeah. of the Excelsior. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I did enjoy seeing him in that role. Uh, yeah. And the, the final exchange between him and Kirk was quite farewell, wasn't it? Was it was like nice to see you in action. It was like a time, mutual respect given, you know, if you just watched that for the first time, you'd have just caught in that moment the sort of history of the two characters that they've yeah. served some serious time together. That it was and, a bit legendary. Uh-huh. Um, well... Well-managed um, performances all round, I would say. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about we mentioned in the previous film or last podcast. The visual effects were poor. This one much much different. They were yeah. impressive overall. I'd yeah. say the only scene that it did you can see that's dated is that the assassination yeah. sequences with the blood and the, it kind of just looks a bit. It's uh, usually the bravest bit that ages the worst with these films, like the bit that's the most avant-garde. I mean, you could tell the model work was great. I mean, that it's the bit that they don't know how to do. Yeah. So that was the experimental yeah. bit. So that's ILM doing mm. some early CGI work there. Yeah, 1991, as you yeah. say. Um, yeah, it, it's, it stood out a bit. As like yeah. it is sort of, I mean, it was pink blood, of course, for the for the Klingons. But initially, I didn't realize that. I just thought it just looks odd. Yeah. But um, the actual texture if it was red. It might have looked a bit better. Maybe. But I think yeah, that was a, a main a main point that they they wanted to show how alien the Klingons were. Mm. I mean, blood could uh, Vulcan blood is green. Mm-hmm. Klingon is pink. Right. Human is red, so it's interesting that they've got that little detail in there for the lore. Yeah, it didn't look as good for a CGI, I suppose, but I think it was just because the way it was uh, obviously with the, the the gravity or whatever, you know, it was suspended in, in midair yeah. and it just looked a bit funny. Yeah, <laughs> um, a bit floaty and a bit fake. But I mean, again, 
it was a small part and overall the the, the presentation of the film and the, the visual effects were overall really good some of the the battle scenes and you got and a nice like battle that. at the end as well yeah yeah it was it was pretty cool seeing the real the enterprise taking a beating and the sort of explosions going off within and stuff yeah. like that and everyone under real duress getting the saucer like penetrated through mm-hmm. by a torpedo sort yeah. of thing some great yeah. some great stuff because again we haven't seen that from the the, the show at the films probably in about two or three films I would say yeah because Star Trek 2 was the last time the Enterprise yeah. got a proper <clears throat> a proper beating but it it was never torpedoed no over and over again that's the difference it was phasered is it this director is that his touch is that what he likes to just pummel the Enterprise is that his thing well, I think I think he uses it as a tool to create you know a sense of jeopardy for the crew and which you is could... great and it was an enemy that they couldn't see mm-hmm. yeah and it took Ahura actually to tell them to use the equipment for the gaseous anomalies to mm-hmm. detect the other vessel. Yep. So, little moments like that are key. Mm-hmm. It might not be long on the screen, but these characters got key points mm-hmm. where it wasn't always Kirk coming up with the solution. No, certainly wasn't, no. In fact, he was, a lot of the time, sitting and listening. But did you notice how much older they were as well? Well, yeah, that was uh, first shot of Sulu and you'd see the stark contrast from the last film. Because mm. um, I remarked to you when we were watching the Final Frontier, he looked about 30. Yeah. And this film he looked about 60. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was kind of a, a big difference and it's hard to tell is that the age of the cast and they've just not done much to make them look younger? That's what it is. Or uh, so, or a case they've been de-aging them previously because yeah. they were only a three year difference or whatever in well, the they, films. They were de-aging them but for this one Nicholas Mayer very yeah. specifically said <clears throat> I want it to be set later. I want them to look older. Mm-hmm. And they did. And there was a lot of moments where I mean I think there's there's something about it where if you see folk looking older and they're a bit more tired and they want to go and have a lie down because there was there was scenes where they were saying that oh I'm really tired when I go you know let's get this over with there was a sense of oh, we've been through this mm-hmm. it's the time is over but I think it's one of those it's a it's quite a common situation where people who are maybe put back into the harness again at the end of it get a second wind mm-hmm. and want to give it another run yeah you know um I mean I do. Every time I see the end of that film, I think, oh, what a shame it is you, you couldn't have another. I don't know. I think it's, it was a nice final way to, to, to finish their story. Yeah. Um, well, Kirk's story's not finished. Well, yeah, I understand that uh, there's a crossover in a sense with the the next generation film. Yeah. I wonder what you're going to think of that. I think you're going to be quite emotional when you see Star Trek Generations, Steve. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see now when, when the next era of the Star Trek films with a new whole new cast that... Yes, I've seen them the odd clip or two of television shows. I've I don't think I've fully watched an episode in full. I'm f- obviously familiar with the main characters, Commander uh, Riker. Yeah, but um, so this will be interesting to because these are the characters that I was more familiar with from watching the odd episode of the original series. Yeah, um, on television as a kid. So now it's we're getting to much more unfamiliar territory for me, even more unfamiliar than I already was in. Um, well, Kirk being in the next one, Scotty like and Chekhov are, yeah. but Kirk being in it might help with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like it's almost like to, to the ex- let audiences kind of transition. Yeah. Um, we talked. The music was great in this film from the from the off. Yeah, the sense of urgency. I like that. Um, really 
really much more uh, it was catchier music but it was also it kind of it had more energy yeah and uh, I, I, I liked that as well about the film um, there was an almost militaristic yeah kind of drumming to it mm-hmm. you know really drove it what's interesting as well is the film was shot really nicely and it looks nice every scene it looks neat and crisp there's a crispness to the film Did there you was that? Uh, yeah there was something that it felt like a, mo- a, a more modern like it doesn't feel like f- just three years or so from the last yeah. film um it feels a bit longer like, yeah. like there's been more time passed and technology's got better or something because it did look um a bit more advanced and uh, professional i suppose as um as well as that the the tone was so different mm-hmm. like the the humor from the last film was almost fully eradicated but you could buy that it was still a continuation yes yeah that's definitely. the funny thing about uh-huh. it and i like i like that though because this one is a bit more there was a bit more of an urgency to the story and it's uh, almost like it's, real life yeah. people have good days and bad mm-hmm. days mm-hmm. you might have a like me and you might have a big laugh and then something really dramatic could happen mm-hmm. but we'd still be there yeah and it was there wasn't like it was no moments of any humor but it was very sort of much more subtle and uh-huh. it was usually probably it was mostly Spock or McCoy I think usually um, yeah the newcomers Kim Cattrall I know I really enjoyed that it took me I didn't notice until you told me that it was Kim Cattrall of course yeah. I noticed it afterwards but I was waiting to see if he would say no, that I'll point sh- out Christopher guessed. Plummer what a guest star Christopher Plummer yep I think and he knew- played it incredibly well I think he was great in this film yeah, he see when he was doing the trial scene, and he was screaming and shouting. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a real powerful voice, you know. He's a great actor, you know. Don't wait for the translation, you know. Answer, yeah. yeah. Answer now, you know. He, really, he really get chews into the role, doesn't he? Like he chews really, the scenery. Yeah. yeah, like he he embodies the character. I think he, he liked being able to do all the Shakespearean quotes. Uh-huh. That was a. I loved the the, the dinner scene. I think that yeah. might be one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Um. I, but did you notice that? Um. Chang, played by Plummer, says we need breathing room, and Kirk says Earth Hitler, nineteen thirty eight, mm. and and everybody just stops. Yeah, and it's like not diplomatic at all. Kirk has basically equated the Klingons to Hitler. Yeah, now that's interesting, right? Because to me, the first sign of someone losing an argument, I was just about to say that that is usually when they equate you to a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah, that is like this cliche thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's usually because that's... it's easy, mm-hmm. and you, you nobody wants to be a Nazi, mm-hmm. you know. So the Klingons were saying something quite reasonable there. They were saying we need, we need breathing. We, they do. Their, their main production facility has been destroyed. They've got no money. They've got no space. They've got no food. They need space and breathing room, mm-hmm. both literally and figur- literally and figuratively. But because it's a quote, it's easy to do that. And there's a lot of times where someone will say something that is actually. If you analyse it, reasonable. But someone can say, oh, you're just a Nazi. I know. You're just a Nazi. And they hear that so much these days. And that's the thing. Kirk did it. There you go. The hero of the movie in this this setting actually said those words himself. I suppose the film doesn't... It lets him off of it, though. It doesn't, like, suggest that he was in... Well, everybody looks at him. Uh That's the thing. There's silence, and then the Chancellor says, well, we've got a long way to go. (laughs) That's over then. And then it cuts to Kurt going... You must do this again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Great tension. I think the, the tension in that scene, and generally in Kirk's and Shatner's performance, I, I really. Well, he liked. was understated. Um, Nimoy and well, not Nimoy, Mayer. Nimoy obviously was involved in the screenplay, but M- Nicholas Mayer has a way of, and in Star Trek Two as well, Nicholas Mayer has a gift for bringing Shatner's performance 
slightly down to the point where it's perfect. Cause you because could... he really felt like Captain Kirk in this film. Yeah. Like I, I did say in the last one, I felt he slightly overacted, overacted a little, you know. The, the, and especially on the comedic side of things, he was kind of... Which weirdly, he didn't on... do in four. Yeah, I don't remember that as so much, but it struck me a little in five. It didn't feel quite like... It, it started to feel a it little... It felt like William Shatner. Aye. Yeah, it felt like he was doing a different yeah. character almost. It didn't feel like Kirk, per se. But Some bits it was. No, exactly. It wasn't all the time. It was just the odd moments, but it took you out a little. Yeah. And um, this one, none of that. Um, it was good. The tension, it played into the story with the, the sort of the prejudice and things like that. Were you happy to see the pictures of his son and the, the visual references to Well, yeah, it was a storytelling technique to let you know what was going on in his head. But also for continuity's sake, mm-hmm. that this. I think it was the, about. The private. Yeah. You got a, a, a window, maybe. What well, did you think of the window into the private mind of Kirk? Well, he's soliloquy to himself when he's in his. Yeah. Uh, you don't usually get to see that. His kind of quarters. Yeah, I mean, that was interesting. An interesting because for all we know, he could have been saying those things for years. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it, though? Like, getting the chance to see into his private grief? Did you think that was... Well, I, I thought it was about time that we had some sort of showing of that, because, we, ha- yes, he didn't get to know his son very well, and he only found out he had his son... Still his son, yeah. Not long before, but it's still a huge thing to have your son murdered, right? So... And I felt like they dealt with it a little in the Wrath of Khan. I even commented, I think, in the podcast, maybe not enough, mm-hmm. but it would maybe would have taken away from the story. Um, but it has never came up again, really, has it? Mm-hmm. It's never really came up in what another two films or so. Yeah, um, three films. So to have it re kind of examined, I think, was a good thing because it showed that it wasn't just a a plot point created solely for one film. Mm-hmm. And then to be just, you know, throw, uh, kind of shoved away again. So I like that. And yeah, it, it connects as well. what's interesting, after the dinner, Kirk goes back to his quarters and the scene is him cradling the picture. Do you mm-hmm. remember that scene? Mm-hmm. So he has his soliloquy and then they have the dinner. And then after the dinner, you see him in his quarters just cradling this picture. Yeah. You know, good character. And he doesn't talk about it. He just says, oh, the dinner didn't go well or whatever. But... That's him. He, he, what that's signifying to the viewer is that Kirk must do that a lot. Yeah, in his private moments, it's the sense that he's getting older and I think reflecting more. That's what happens. And he can't have another time. son. Yeah, so he's past that now, and he's obviously reflecting more, and that's the state of his mind. You know, as he's probably thinking about his legacy and all these kind of things. So it's it's an interesting character point, but done very subtly. It's not over-laboured and, and things like that. It's only in a couple of scenes where we see yeah. the picture and stuff. So, yeah, um, you know, well-scripted, I would say. The, 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 the script, the screenplay, you know, very tight. Um, you said it became a bit action movie towards the so end. So, yeah, I, was, I, agree with. I was going to get to that. So that was the only thing I felt where the film slightly fell short a little. Well, can I tell you my theory on what happened there? Mm-hmm. I think everybody got so excited about it that they kind of... Because it's a great film. Mm-hmm. I think everybody got so excited about having a big ensemble scene at the end that they just went a bit crazy with it. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, you had the Excelsior and the Enterprise destroying that ship and then beaming down and you had the recurring characters like Cartwright from Star Trek IV, the, the, the Black Admiral. Mm-hmm. Admiral Cartwright. Yeah. Um, Coming, I say Black Admiral because he's the only one. Mm-hmm. 
so we have to really point that out. But he's he's that recurring character. You had the Klingon ambassador coming back as well. So you had all these things dropped into the scene. Sulu beaming down, Scotty getting sent up to deal with the assassin, Kirk leaping up, it was, McCoy grabbing someone. It was frantic. It was a bit much. Like, it needs release, and, and that's, you know, that's how, that's usually how, you know, I feel like it was act. just excitement. It was, it was. It was, was all cast getting a chance to work yeah. together all at the same time. I think maybe the pacing of it was just a bit, it was a bit too quick. It was almost yeah. like... What's happening? It was the way that it transitioned from... The explosion with the Klingon ship, with the um, the homing missile, and then the the, the two ships, the, yeah. the two ships firing on it, to then suddenly, instantly beaming it down. I think what's meant to be to, implied is that they had fleet. maybe detected with the sensors where some where people were, uh-huh. and that's why Kirk sent Scotty up there. Maybe a little bit of I just feel like because I was kind of like okay, whoa, 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 seven of them just boom beam down there, like really, we're, we're, what, why, what's going on here now? Like, how do they know? It was already yeah, just felt a bit a bit quick and a bit kind of. But then it, it got jumped, too excited. It actually jumped to being okay again as soon as the action was over. Then you had the conversation between Kirk and the Chancellor's daughter as it, as it Boer, which then was okay. Because it was talking about the legacies and stuff, mm-hmm. so then it, it it kind of you had your massive action, and then it it sort of reined itself in again. Yeah, and yeah, I would came, say so. You had that, and then you had the the farewells mm-hmm. at the end, which were quite nice. So I think I agree with you completely, and that that there's two scenes I don't like in the film. Okay, the scene with the um, translation problems when they were talking to the Klingons over the comm system, and they were reading from the books. Remember that. Trying to remember, actually, like the Klingons couldn't understand what they were saying over. The, they were trying to pretend they were a Klingon ship, and they were reading from books, and they were speaking over the. Community. Oh yes, yeah. It was a bit too. It felt kind of in your face comedy. Aye, and then the, I'd say the rushed, action scene yep. on the ground when they beamed down. Although I did like Scotty getting his chance to kick a door down and, and take the the guy out. Yeah. I like the fact that everybody got their moment in that scene, but I don't like the, the speed of it. I think the pacing was where it slightly faltered a little. I'd say those are the only two scenes in the film that I felt that maybe the exuberance got away from them. Yeah. Because I feel like everybody in the production knew that it was the last time, mm-hmm. and they all got... I think people were caught up in the... Maybe you can sense that from the music and this, the, the way it looks and the way everybody's behaving, but everybody seems to be caught up in this sense of this is something special sort of the final showdown yeah. final yeah final farewell and stuff like that so that would say overall tightly made but just with that slight slight it runs away from yeah. them a wee bit yeah. and they, they rein it in as you said and afterwards and it's all handled greatly um what's incredible is that it happened to a director like nicholas mayer because that never happens to him nicholas mayer's a really tight director mm-hmm. it, i think he was getting infected by the emotion of it all you know that these people have played these characters for 25 years and they're never going to be back, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and you're just... It becomes... I would say, though, that scene with the um, translations and the scene on the planet are almost like fan fiction. They, be, they, they, they go into the fanboy sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like what you would really want to see. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, rather than what would really happen. Yeah. But apart from those two scenes, it was... Mm-hmm. It was pretty tight, yeah. But I, I, I'm, I'm quite forgiving in that sense because I think everybody was having high emotion throughout it. I, I mean, all it, the cast were. 
it didn't um, take too much uh, away from the, much of the enjoyment. I still overall enjoyed mm-hmm. the film. Um, I mean, Kirk's jump to take the president down is hilarious. Mm-hmm. See if you watch that in slow motion. Oh, really? It's really funny. <laughs> I mean, I've analysed these films. Like, I know all the flaws, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot to unpack in this film. I think it's really interesting because it's the end of an era for legendary, iconic pop culture icons. Mm-hmm. Who will forever be legends, you know? But it's also a little look to the future as well. It was allegorical about the USSR and the USA and what happened there. It's also looking to our time as well. And I think it's an important film to watch now for people who maybe have prejudices and make them look at themselves and think that maybe they don't have as good a reason as Kirk did and Kirk could still look past it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? That that's a really important message is that if someone if a character who's lost their son can forgive, then what the hell is it excuse does anybody else have? Yep, incredibly timely and uh I do I do like it for that reason. I think we've kinda of covered most areas that we would uh want to cover, really. Yeah, I mean I we've could covered, talk about this film for yeah, days. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Well we've covered essentially mm-hmm. director, the performances, the music and our favourite scenes. Well, did you say your favourite scene was? Because I said mine was the dinner scene. Um, God, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really. I feel like I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I like the bit when they've finished it all and they're coming back on the bridge and they're ready to go again and okay. they find out that they can't. But also, that wraps up the goodbye to the Excelsior as well. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's almost like an old, again going back to the Western theme. They're going into the sunset, the two ships, and it's almost like two horses with two riders, and one of them goes off. Yeah. And they go into the sunset. There's a real Western thing there. I, 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 his implication, Sulu, is just wait, he's continuing his own yeah. adventures with his crew. Yeah. And uh, I take it the fan fiction covers all of that. <clears throat> Those books and stuff. Those books, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, then. I think we're about time then for the rating for this film. I feel this is a four star film. Yeah. Where were you on this one? Do you know, it's interesting because I would say that while I equally love this film with Star Trek 2 in a sentimental sense, it's not as good as Star Trek 2. So it's weird because given Star Trek 5 a 3 and given this a 4, I it know. Seems weird. Well, to me, this is the difference between saying. It- you know, just blanket three and four sounds crazy. When you talk, when t- to say it this way, I would say Star Trek I'd say this five. Is an yes, yes, exactly. This was bordering. It's on literally a, a touch away, mm-hmm. a couple of scenes away from being a five for me. Yeah, and for me, again, it's that's without as having seen it once with less of a historical kind of experience with the the whole series and you've got the the experience from watching them when you were young and stuff like that the formative mm-hmm. experiences and stuff like that so i would understand if you, if you felt as a on these reviews that's really interesting mm-hmm. so what 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 are we at then for all the six original films so that's uh a three for the first five uh i was close to a four in that one but i mm-hmm. came round to the five um I would have given that a very high four in some ways, but I could, I could all, I, I agreed on the five as well. So it was three to five, and then a three again, and then a four, a four, a solid four for um, four for four, and then it was a free, a low three for yeah the final frontier, and this one is a high four. 
So I'd say it's a pretty good run. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'd say it's probably it would average out as being what maybe a mid four for the whole run. Is that how it would average? Be a high three or a mid four. We've got the odd numbers have been three threes and yeah. the evens have been so what fives we found and fours. Is that maybe the evens weren't as amazing as everybody says, and the odds weren't as bad, which is kind of interesting because uh-huh. you would expect the swing to be higher from what you read, mm-hmm. but they're not. Yeah, I was expecting this to be a two. From, no, no, sorry, this one the. Uh, Final Frontier to be a two yeah. based on the kind of perception, but I think it helped having my expectations lowered. If I had been told that film was awesome, mm. I think I may have been like, you know, disgusted with it or something, you know, just do not. <laughs> I would have just been like, that was not great, but I had my expectations lowered. And that always helps when you're when you're watching these films. And um, same again with this. It's, it's quite handy in life as well. <clears throat> I mean, keep people's expectations low and they'll always be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yep, so we're agreeing on this one. This is a four-star film. And we are now going to be uh, looking ahead to the next one. The next one is a biggie, Star Trek Generations, with one of the most pivotal moments in Star Trek history happening in it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not really. I'm guessing Kirk meeting Picard of some sort. That'll be interesting. But not just that. Okay. Well, yeah, like I said, I don't know anything, so I'm looking forward don't to Don't look at anything. Yeah. Yeah, we've not been doing the trailer watch thing. We've, we didn't do that for any of this film at all. We've been watching the trailer before it. Um, are we going to do that for this one? Uh, film 7? Are we just going to go in blind? Um, I can I can put it on now if you want to see it. I go for it. Right, well, we'll do it after the podcast then. Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Sorry, guys, we're not going to share that with you. <laughs> <laughs> alright that'll, that'll that's this episode wrapped up in the bag in the freezer in the sounds um, terrifying yeah <laughs> sorry for the dead air there I was trying to find the word okay that's it from uh, from Fran that's it from me we'll see you next time thanks for speaking for me there yeah. well, that's uh, it from me <laughs> oh okay any final words Fran uh, yo 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 <laughs> <laughs> cheerio thanks now bye bye <laughs>